about what it means to do good, what it means to, to do the right thing, what it means to seek God's will, what it means to treat others as you want to be treated, what it means this time of year. One of the things we talk about, especially as we get into November and December, is that we, we very much are concerned with the Christmas spirit, with the holiday spirit, with things like that. And yet we still get so caught up in all the little things and all of the other things going on and everything in our life. And so we don't really stop to think what it actually means to live that. Uh, it's not something that we just do once a year. It's not something we just do at a certain time of year. It's not something that, that we just do when we feel like it. Doing good is something that as Christians we are called to do all of the time. And so I want to talk about that. And the first thing I want to talk about this week is numbers uh, and just how, how we see each other, how we see other people, how we treat each other and all of these different things. Um, and so I'm going to start with John chapter 4, verses 4 through 30. He has to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone on to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Uh, I, I wanted to start with this part before I go into the main text, and I'm sure that you've heard about this story if you've been in the church. Uh, but this part is, is vital to how we see each other. It's vital to how we learn from Jesus. It's vital to following his example and just how we live day-to-day -day life. Uh, the woman was a Samaritan, and, and one of the things that you'll find if you've paid any attention uh, to, to just different Bible talk over the years in churches and when they talk about Jews and Samaritans, uh, the Samaritans were basically a, a group of people that were hated, desperately hated by the Jews. Now, most of us know the Good Samaritan, and we know that story, but they were just super hated. Like, they, they literally would not help them if they saw them. They would ignore them. They would spit at them. Uh, they didn't care. And so this woman was going to, to, to the well, and she recognized Jesus as a Jewish man. She knew that Jewish people were walking through this, this path at times. Uh, and so there were most of the people that had gone before him, probably all of the people that had gone before him, not only didn't talk to her, not only didn't ask her questions, not only didn't care about her as a person, but they would ignore her or worse, shout insults at her or say that she's worthless, all of these different things. Because they did not see her as a person. They saw her as a number. They saw the Samaritans as their enemies and they saw the numbers of each person. So there's Samaritan number one and Samaritan number two and Samaritan number three, etc., etc., etc. And that is how they lived. And that they justified that. I don't know how they justified it, but how do we justify it today when we treat other people like that because of their party, because of uh, what, what they believe, because of what they do, because of their race, because of all of these other different things? How do you justify it? It can't truly be justified. And we see in Jesus' action how he's living, what he's doing, how he, he, he is. And so he talks to her. He doesn't start out with this amazing sermon. He doesn't uh, throw a Bible at her, which would have been difficult at this time since there weren't any printed. But, but he, he, he doesn't like beat her over the head with anything. He just says, hey, could I have a drink of water? And you might think, well, that's, that's asking her for something. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he offer something? Well, because he sees her as a person. And he knows that no one cares enough about her to ask her for something, to, to speak to her, to look at her like she could offer them anything. They think that she's just there. 
They think that the Samaritans are just there. They think their enemies are just there. They think people they don't like are just there. They think that when we walk out of the room, they all go back to their corners in the darkness and wait to just try to annoy us again because that's why they exist. And so Jesus sees things differently. And he said very clearly, yeah, just give me a drink. He didn't say it in a mean way. He didn't say it in anger. He didn't force her. He just asked her a question, saw her as a person. And so we go to the next verse. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has given you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water and, uh, than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Uh, this isn't usually listed in the parables, this little part. Now, the rest of it is not a parable, but where he talks about water and where he has an analogy. But this is how Jesus taught. And the reason he's speaking to her like this is why, the same reason he spoke to his disciples like this, is the same reason he spoke to the Pharisees like this, is the same reason he spoke to everyone like this. Because when you figure it out for yourself, when you listen and you truly pay attention and you hear it and you feel it, it means so much more. And so he's giving her that. Because again, he sees her as a person. He understands who she is and what she needs. And so he talks about water because they're out of water thing. If they'd been standing at a cow, which is kind of like one of those fancy Coke machines with the freestyle. And so you have a cow and it has different colored spots on it. And if you push the pink one, then strawberry milk would come out. And if you push the brown one, chocolate milk would come out, etc. I guess there's only a couple more kinds of milk, but still. Uh, then he would have related it to cows, maybe. Probably not, but I lost myself there. Uh, but he has often referred to himself as living water because when you drink of the Spirit, when you drink of his faith, when you join a relationship with him, you don't want anything else. It's not that you never drink water literally again. Uh, it, it's that you never need anything else. It's that you never need, uh, need other relationships. You never need uh, to feel like you fit in. Now, those things are important and you want those things and they matter. But when you have that relationship with Jesus... You are complete in a way that nothing else gives you. Uh, and so that's at the center. And then everything else comes around because those are important. Other relationships, other uh, people, other things that we do. But, but he's telling her this living water is where it starts. This is where it grows. This is where it blossoms. This is where it moves forward. This is where it all begins. And, and so, again, he's speaking to her just like he did everyone else. Now, if the Pharisees or even the disciples had walked by, they would have been like, whoa. You're talking to her? What are you doing? You're not allowed to talk to a Samaritan. You shouldn't treat her like a person. You shouldn't be doing this. And so Jesus was putting himself in danger just being a human. We live in a world that wants us to be against everyone else. They want us to be in categories. They want us to put everyone else in categories. They want boxes everywhere. They want us all to be enemies. Because that makes us just focus on the wrong things in life. But once you start to help each other, once you start to realize, oh, well, that person, they disagree with me, and I can't imagine why they think that, but they're a person. They go home, or they go to work, or they have a family, they have friends. You see them as a person. It changes how you live. Now, everybody else who had gone by this well had seen this woman. 
And they ignored her, or they spit at her, or they yelled at her, or whatever, but they saw her. But they didn't see her, they didn't care about her, they just saw a number, they just saw a Samaritan standing there. And yet Jesus starts talking to her for real. And so we go to the next part. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Uh, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Uh, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. Now, I want to stop there, because... Uh, Jesus, one of the things that Jesus did, the main thing that Jesus did, is he absolutely spoke the truth every time. He definitely saw his people, and he definitely built relationships, and he definitely loved us. And he would still tell the truth. And here he told the truth. He saw what she needed to hear. He saw that she needed to hear what she had done, what her sin was, what was wrong in her life. Because she is seeking water. Because she asked, how can I get this water? Now, she didn't fully understand what the water was. But she asked him, and so he answered her. He didn't say, aha, now I've got you. You are the worst person in the world, and you have done all of these sins, and no one else has done this ever, and this makes you an awful person. And it makes you worthless, and it makes you a number, and it makes you not matter. He didn't say any of that. Now other people would have. He didn't say, you just don't get it. You should know better. He didn't say, well, you shouldn't have done this. He said, hey, this is how you move forward. You look at what you have done. You learn from it. You grow. You give it to me, and then you're good. And then what does she do? She changes the subject. She immediately changes the subject. And I imagine it's hard when it's text to to really picture this scenario. But I picture it like this. I, I picture Jesus is sitting there. And he's just talking. Now, he sees this as the most important conversation in the world because to him in this moment it is. It doesn't mean that all the other conversations in the past or all the other conversations in the future don't matter to him. It means that when he is in the moment, that's the most important moment because she is the most important person at that time because they're talking, they're relating. And so he's just talking and he's like, hey, you know, I I know this about you. He doesn't say it in a shameful way. He doesn't pull her in front of the disciples. He doesn't pull her in front of the town. He doesn't try to make fun of her. He doesn't make a Facebook post about her and say, ha, 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 see what my guy does and yours doesn't. He looks at her and he says, this is what you've done. And then when she changes the subject, I would imagine that she took a pause before that. And he says that. And she's like, you know, she runs through the motions. And if you've ever been called out on something, regardless of the level of bad or whatever it is, If you've ever been called out on something, your face will turn red a little bit and you start to worry and you start to think and you have that first impulse to defend. You have that first impulse to justify. We've all been there. And so she probably felt that. She knew something was special with him and she's like, you're a prophet. And then she feels this call like, what should I do? And in her heart, in her head, she has this storm of emotions, this storm of responses, this storm of answers. And she could be like, well, should I argue? He obviously knows. Should I deny it? Should I defend it? Should I justify it? And so she feels all of that, just like we all do, because she's a person. And so what does she do? She changes the subject, because that's what we do when we're uncomfortable. That's what we do when people are right and we're wrong. That's what we do when we're in a corner. We change the subject, and so she changes the subject. Now, here's what Jesus did, and I want to talk about that, and then I'm going to go back to the subject thing. 
Uh, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer be, it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does Jesus do? He answers her. She asked a question. Now, yes, it was to change the subject, and yes, it was uncomfortable, and yes, it was weird, but she changed the subject, and so what does Jesus do? He answers her. Now, what do people do today? What do people do then? What do Pharisees do? What do we do sometimes? What do we do in politics? What do we do with people that believe differently? What do we do with people that look differently? What do we do in our schools with people that disagree with us, with people that aren't as good at sports or are better at sports or aren't as good at school or are better at school? What do we do with people who differ from us? We don't let the change of subject stand because we are right. And they have to know that we are right. They have to change. They have to realize that if they just listen to our words, they will be fixed because we are perfect. Now, there's not a person listening to this, and I don't actually know if anyone is listening to this live, but we'll figure it out. There's not a person listening to this who is going to say, well, absolutely, I think that. But guess what? When you're in the heat of the moment, and you're trying to win that argument, you're living like that. You're basically saying, hey, I don't care if this ends the friendship. I don't care if this makes you feel bad. I don't care if this makes you feel like you're worthless. I don't care because you have to know that I'm right. That's the most important thing in the world to me. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong, especially if you are right? Let's say that you're arguing something that can be uh, quantitatively proven, like two plus two. And let's argue for a second that it's four. And so let's say that you're in an argument and you're with uh, anybody. I don't care, whoever. And they're like, no, 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 it's five. And you're like, not, not unless imaginary numbers or X's or whatever are involved. Two plus two is just straight up four. Watch. One, two, three, four. Four fingers. And then they keep arguing you. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to be called out. One of the things that is my biggest hot button, that is my biggest pet peeve, that, that I have to catch myself on the, the most is when somebody is implying that I'm lying. I didn't mean that to rhyme. But I like Dr. Seuss when they're implying that what I'm saying isn't true. It's not necessarily that they think I'm wrong. I don't care about that. I do care about that, but I try not to care about that. But it's if I'm, I, I feel like my honesty, my integrity is being questioned. Uh, I have to catch myself from, you know, going hardcore like we all do. But two plus two is four, and somebody's arguing five. Well, you keep arguing. And you get out your, your numbers, and you get out a calculator, and you get all the, out all this stuff. And then you get to the point where you're like, you just don't get it. You're stupid. I'm right. Because proving that you're right became far more important than who that person was. Now, should they be able to go through their lives thinking two plus two is five? Well, you know, no. But what's your goal? Is your goal to be right? Is your goal to be the ultimate answer person? To be the greatest in the world? Or is your goal to be like Jesus? And so what did Jesus do? Basically, the woman's like, hey, two plus two is five. And he's like, it's four. And then she's like, oh, well, uh, X comes before Y in the alphabet. Why, do the, the, why does this group over here think this? She changes the subject completely. 
Now, most of us, many of us, especially today, especially this week, would grab out the Bibles or grab out whatever, the computer, the iPad, the phone, and hit her in the head and say, no, no, no. We are not moving on to that. We're going to prove that I'm right. And then maybe you prove that you're right and she finally admits it, but she doesn't know who Jesus is. Maybe Jesus, if he had been like, no, we're not going to your questions. I don't care about that. You have to admit that you have sinned and that this is why you're wrong. Well, what happens? She admits it. Does she see him as a loving God? Does she see him as the answer? Does she see him as the Savior? No. She sees him as just another person who sees her as just another number. It's not about that. So what does he do? He answers her question. He already told her the truth. He's not saying that's not true. He's not apologizing for it, but he's saying, okay, let's talk. And some people will say, but, but, but salvation is the most important thing. You have to keep pushing. Absolutely, it's the most important thing. But if Jesus did it in this way, who of us can say, well, I know better? Because we don't. Salvation was the most important thing then also, and he knew that. But he also knew that you don't get to that by arguing. You don't get to that by pushing. You don't get to that by shaming. You don't get to that by hating, by being angry, by being right. You get to it by loving, by talking, by treating them like a person, by building a relationship, not by seeing them as a number, not by seeing them as the opponent, not by seeing them as this or that. You get to it through love, through patience, through hope, through building And that's what Jesus did. It would have been so easy for him, out of everyone in the history of the world, to argue until he proved himself right. What's it going to do? We have an election in a couple of days, and it's one of the most contentious in a long time. And I'm not going to go into politics in terms of specifics. But what I've seen this year, what I've seen lately on Facebook, in yards, everywhere else, is Christians putting candidates above being a Christian. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a candidate. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care. Everybody should vote. Absolutely. Well, everybody that's allowed to vote should vote. But I've seen people that care more about being quote-unquote right about their candidate. About letting people know who they're voting for. About proving who's right and who's wrong. Than about caring about the living water. About showing salvation. About showing a better way because guess what at the end of this year which hopefully ends in December like usual next year starts and I, I am like everyone else I believe that who I believe in as a candidate is better than the other one I get that but things keep going God's still in heaven The most important thing is still Jesus. The most important thing is still moving forward. The most important thing is still salvation. And so if you prove yourself, quote unquote, right with that or with school or with work or with sports or whatever else, what's the cost? Because people are not just disagreeing with you to make you mad. They're not just waking up and saying, you know what, I'm going to today believe this and I'm going to go Uh, live this way because this is what I believe and I'm going to tick people off and I'm going to argue and I'm not going to listen and all this stuff. They're not doing that for that. This woman, she hadn't committed adultery just to make other people mad. She did it because she made the wrong choice. People are people. Doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. 
They are people. It doesn't matter if they're different than you or not. They are people. And Jesus saw her as that. And so he spoke to her as that. And he treated her as that. And she listened. When she changed the subject, he didn't beat her in the face with it. He answered because he followed the course of the conversation. Didn't change his truth. Didn't change who he was. It didn't change who he stood for. But his witness was more important than his words in that place. And so we go on to the wrap up. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So the disciples came back and they didn't get it. Now they weren't like, hey, what are you doing? You're wrong. They were like, Jesus, what are you doing? Explain it to us. But they didn't get it. They were learning, just like we are. And yet, after that question that he answered, instead of pushing his own agenda, after that question, she says, hey, you know what? That's a good point. What you said, how you treated me like a person, that's a good point. I've heard about this Messiah. Do you know anything about him? And he's like, well, I am the Messiah, actually. And she's like, whoa. Now, he didn't have to go back to his first point. She didn't have to go back to his first point. Everything clicked. Because he had treated her like a person. And so she ran to the village and she told other people. And I guarantee that while she definitely said, he's the Messiah and he knows everything, she also started with, he treated me like a person. He didn't just see a number. He didn't just see a Samaritan. He didn't just see a woman. He saw a person. And when they came back, they also were able to learn, to grow, to change. And because of him allowing a subject change, of seeing a person where others would see a number, of seeing a soul where others would see an enemy, a whole village received the word. Again, had he stopped and tried so hard to argue his point and beat it into the ground, Maybe she listens. Maybe out of fear or out of reverence, she's like, okay, I, I give up. She didn't go tell the village. We're not in this to, to be right. We're supposed to live in a way that we are right. We're not in this to fix people. We can't do that because we need fixing too. We're in this, whether you're a teen or an adult or whatever. We are in this to live like Jesus. And the reason I want to do this series this month is because we're in this to do good. And I know that grammatically that's wrong, but it's because I'm using good in a different way. We're in this to do good, to leave behind better than we find, to be right in a different way. Not to prove we're right, but to live that way and to show people love and to show people who Jesus is. Uh, I've spoken about this before, and it's a minor point, but I'm a big Supernatural fan. I wear the shirt every week right now. Uh, I have my reasons. They mostly involve depression and just what I like to watch. But the show is ending. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend recently about how he likes the show, but he would love it, uh, except for the fact that they have like this big plot at the beginning and the end, and then there's just little pieces of it throughout, and they have different like Monster of the Week or Hunt of the Week or whatever episodes. And I'm like, that's why I love it. 
the phrase always keep fighting is something I use in terms of depression, in terms of, of mental health, of emotional health. But to me, that just like, and less important, but just like Jesus to the woman at the well, always keep fighting means persevering. It means doing our best. And that every week not being the main thing, quote unquote, it's basically saying sometimes there are going to be things that you cannot fix. We cannot change the world. We can be the change in the world. We cannot change the world. We cannot fix the world. We cannot. We don't have that power. And yet, each week, each day, each minute, we can do the right thing. We can do good. We can do what we can. We can be better. We can be like Jesus. And that is the change. That is the fix. That is the answer. That is how we must live. I don't care about your age. I don't care about your, your party preference or, or whatever else. I care about the fact that we must be better. And I've said that a lot lately. But we must do good. And as teens... Unfortunately, a lot of this falls on you because the generations above, not all of them, but a lot of the generations above, a lot of the people in each generation have messed it up. And we've seen people like numbers and we've seen people like enemies. And so it falls to you to be like, hey, I got to be more like Jesus. And that's hard. And it falls to us to be like, okay, we got to do better too. And to be there with you, to walk with you, to talk to people like they are a person because they are. Because each of us is a human, each of us is a soul, each of us is loved by God, each of us is a relationship that Jesus cherishes, and each of us has a chance to do good. That's all I got.